SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. No matter how bad they've been treated, have to try and forget to forgive and, and try to get the hatred out of their hearts. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley-Shergy. With me is Thrasher. Special guest star, Robert Picardo. And Alex. You can check in, but you can't check out. But I would recommend not checking in at all. As it says in the uh, advertisement, Norman Bates may be gone, but his motel lives on. That doesn't inspire confidence. We are continuing our look <laughs> at Psycho-related things with Bates Motel, which is a made-for-TV uh kind of backdoor pilot TV movie of the week from 1987. And it premieres part of the NBC Monday Night at the Movies package on July 5th, 1987, uh, written and directed by Richard Rothstein, who is uh, best known for um, being a writer on the original Universal Soldier. And he also uh, was the showrunner and and wrote and directed some episodes of uh, The Hitchhiker, which was another TV series uh, based off a movie. So, yeah, Bates Motel is kind of gone. I will say that knowing that this was a pilot for an anthology series makes about one third of it make sense. Yeah. Yes. You know, when the motel and... is the main character, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, the weird thing is, you know, there's that recent series also called Bates Motel that lasted five seasons. Which is uh, actually it's supposed to be show. pretty good. That's what I've heard, and I've also heard it doesn't have a whole lot to do with Psycho, until right, other than yeah. you know the the characters of the guy and the mother. But I've heard season five is a lot like the uh, the first film or something. Yeah, it leads up to like basically it's, it's you could almost say it's like a prequel series, but it's really well acted, uh, pretty well written. It's um it's a it's a pretty fun show actually. I enjoy it quite a bit. However, <laughs> yeah, this is quite strange. Um, we were talking before we started the the show that you know it's it's part of this weird like psycho four pack DVD thing where I guess I don't know why you had to make it. Why couldn't you just make it a pack of Psycho two, three, and four? But just throwing Bates Motel a TV movie nobody remembers is such an odd flex that I thought it'd be fun cover. I don't I know if only, fun is yeah. the right word, but it's. I can, I can only assume it's so they can say there's a fourth movie in here, which presumably makes the package more attractive to buyers. Although that, right. although they're also probably banking on nobody getting that far into the DVD. Well, I could picture someone like calling me from the store and be like, "Hey, Alex, there's a there's a Psycho uh, pack here. It's got it's got four Psycho movies." And I'm like, "Well, four, of course, naturally, Psycho one, two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. Awesome." And then coming home, being like, "What the hell is this Bates Motel shit?" <laughs> I think maybe because the Bates Motel TV series was a success, maybe it's to create market confusion. You see Bates Motel is on there, and you're like, oh, I like that show. Wait, this isn't the yeah, right exactly. one. Maybe it's uh, a weird pilot for that sh- series with that cast and everything. This this is a this is a movie so bizarre and inexplicable, mm-hmm. I want to show it to people. I want to inflict this. Yeah, <laughs> inflict it. That is the right word. It almost looks like a like a like a made-for-TV documentary about, like, the Psycho films or something, or, like, a real expose on the house or something like that, you know, that you'd see on, like, cable in the 90s. Well, I want to learn how this got made, because it's so... It is so distant from so much of what makes Psycho Psycho, I can't help but think that the whole, like, anthology TV pilot thing about a spooky hotel already existed. They couldn't get it made, and then somehow Psycho got attached to it, and that's what got the pilot made. And that all the Psycho elements yeah. were just grafted on. Yeah, and like, like the... Oh, sorry. Oh, go on. The anthology thing, like you said, it really only explains, like, a third of the film. Um, I guess we'll get to that later, but um, 
where you, I mean, like it starts out with like the the newsreel footage and everything, and you're like, okay, I see what they're doing here. And I, I, I didn't really know much about the plot. Reporting on the Norman Bates case from the original Psycho, but he's doing it in such a sensationalist way. But then he gets all touching and modeling at the end. <laughs> and it's, also, I love it's that, so like, much voiceover in the beginning to to set up this like overly complicated premise. I'm not quite sure you needed to have uh, a little boy bond with Norman Bates in an asylum to then bequeath the motel to him. Couldn't have just been like a random i don't couldn't have just been a random guy instead of like a young boy well you who killed his physically abusive stepfather well you could right. have just given made you could have just made like a relative of norman bates but i feel like yeah i feel like they felt there had to be a true passing of the torch which is why robert picardo as dr goodman the guy in charge of their cases decides oh this this boy who killed his abusive father who's just kind of like half catatonic you know what he oh and who has a taxidermied bird is his only friend you know what he needs a real friend i should hook him up with norman bates like the taxidermy bird thing that's somewhat subtle i guess is a connection to the original film people might not remember all the taxidermy uh referenced in the other pictures but still it's it that that they you know anthony perkins obviously wouldn't do this and they have someone who looks a little bit like him, but it's like in photos or you just see his back just feels so cheap. Like why, if you can't get the guy, just make up some other, like the the motel is named Bates Motel. We don't need half, thank you kitties, uh, we don't need half of this movie being about how to get a bank loan and (laughs) (laughs) how to prep a hotel and what the diner isn't even part of the motel, and it doesn't look like the diner from the movies. Jesus Christ! Yeah, what? and they give it this like Tex-Mex makeover. It looks like this bad place. I wouldn't want to. I think I'd rather go to the original Bates Motel. I'd rather take my mm-hmm. chances of getting murdered by Norma Bates than <laughs> go to some corny ass freaking Tex-Mex neon light mess. Okay, as long as we're as long as we're jumping around to after the iconic Bates Motel gets gets remade into a like yeah, it looks like a from the outside a Mexican restaurant and it all has <laughs> has this like fortified wall around it and there's even a, a a musical montage of all the characters and a bunch of extras like doing renovations and cleaning the plate and like fixing fixing the place up and inexplicably this this just jumped out at me so there's a there's a uh, in the parking lot there's a fountain that's installed yeah, and it's presumably a new fountain. But after it's installed, we then see someone cleaning grime off the fountain. But then later, <laughs> at the climax, when like when the woman and Jason Bateman, yes, Jason Bateman is also in this. Yes, when they yes. meet by the fountain, it's still filthy, but there's a little streak of not filth <laughs> where they were scrubbing it as part of the montage. Also- on the fountain, I have some thoughts on this. There are two wasted fountain opportunities, right? When they're doing the little, like, cleaning, fix-it-up montage, they couldn't, like, have a cute, like, chase each other around with the water thing because they kind of allude that they're, like, a little flirtatious and that, you oh, know, yeah. really is a little... It's like, all right, you wasted your little friend's moment. You could have had a cute, like, you know, water splash fight, which would have been a lively, you know, flourish to the obligatory fix-it-up montage. And also, no blood in the fountain. I mean, that's a freebie right there, man. Like... It doesn't need to be gushing blood, but you could have someone collapse in there and have a bloody fountain and look really cool. Those oh, no, you want to save that for after the series pickup. That's a sweeps week thing. Oh, yeah, but uh, maybe I think I think before this guy got, got went in the can, they <laughs> I don't think hopes were too high. But, but yeah, so so this little this little boy who nobody liked under Robert Picardo. Yeah, Robert Picardo's care yeah, as, can, the, as Dr. Blame? Goodman. He, he grows up into uh, into Bud Court. Uh, and Norman Bates dies of presumably natural causes. I'm honestly surprised they didn't try to make that sound sinister. And so Bud's gonna, uh, so Alex West, the character, is going to be released because he's been deemed same, sane and not a threat to anyone. And Norman has left him everything. But there's this, there's this hilarious scene where it's all these characters uh, at Norman's will reading, and the only thing on the will. There are a collection of 45 records that he gives uh-huh. to the old man who taught him how to do the twist and the hucklebuck. Oh, um, yeah. And, and the guy's like, all right, way to go, Norman. It's just this goofy old man straight out of a Six Flags commercial. 
Uh, and then, like, you know, to the person who taught me how to cook, uh, Mrs. Henderson, I leave my turkey. And there's just a whole cooked turkey. Yeah, what the hell is she that? She just smiles and picks up, and it's like, what? What the hell? He had a turkey? Yeah. I mean, also, I think, it's like, yeah, I mean, what they're trying to do here is maybe have a little bit of... I mean, the psycho films do have their moments of humor, and this is for network television. And, you know, this was on NBC originally, and and they're trying to soften things, but it gets it on such a wrong foot. So much of the beginning uh, to set up the premise focuses on like Norman Bates dying and and who gets what. But by mentioning Norman Bates's name so much, it just makes you think I'd rather be watching the first movie again. Right. And also the whole will reading, too, is that, like, so-and-so taught you how to cook, and, you know, Willie taught you how to do the twist. So, like, were these, like, uncles or cousins or friends? Like, I don't – do you ever have just, like, you know, hi, I'm Frank. I'm going to teach you how to tie your shoes or throw a baseball. And then, like, that person leaves until you're will reading. <laughs> like, not, not to mention Norman's like. mother was so, like, ab- abusive and, and didn't let him out of the house much. Would she have even let him see, like – hey, there's this strange old man from the neighborhood. He's going to teach me the Lindy Hop in the basement. Like, I don't think she'd let that happen. It doesn't sound like a very uh, Batesy thing. I I could only assume they were, like, friends of his mother or something. But that even goes even further because, like, this movie is totally all over the place because there's even a scene where, where, like, local people are reminiscing about Norman Bates. Like, oh, yeah, it's a shame the way his mother left him locked up in his crib. And they imply that he's, like, a teenager at the time. (laughs) I know, right? It's, it's but, so but strange. But this scene, this scene is so bizarre, and and the this movie is so all over the place. And yet, if the whole show or the whole movie was like this scene, I think I would have loved it. This is my kind of weird comedy. It would have felt like a weird, like Twin Peaks kind of vibe, almost if they <laughs> if they if they if they tuned it a little bit better. They've got but some mighty fine so... styrofoam turkeys here in Twin Peaks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the bottle of sake thing. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah. Also, did, like, yeah, so after he gets, after Alex gets released, he, you know, we get a whole lengthy thing of him traveling to where the Bates Motel is and interacting with people at bus stops and trying to get directions and nobody can help him. And there's these two, these two homeless guys. They're played by actors who always play homeless guys in movies. One of them is the hobo from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Well, there you go. And, uh-huh. and you know, they're talking okay. about, and, and, you know, they're, and they, yeah, he carries, Alex carries Norman's ashes. And we have one of the, the, the hobos sees the ashes. Hey, you're holding out on us. This is that there sake. And like, they all, <laughs> like, it all, they fight over it. They almost drop it. And then he shares a bottle of whiskey with the, with, with the guys. It's. Well, I mean, well, how about yeah. this? What, wouldn't a better premise have been just called the show Norman's Will? And you follow what happens to these objects as people apparently <laughs> you could say that Norman gave every fucking person in the town like, you know, a, a different item, the records, the turkey, his I mean, toothbrush yeah. stuff alone. Well, sure. Right. And then maybe like everything yeah. is I don't know, haunted or you could do that as a as a premise, I guess, that'd be kind of strange. But just to calling a Bates Motel, all you see in the movies pretty much is like the motel on the diner for the most part. We've right. seen this a lot, but there's nothing new about setting something at the motel. It's iconic, also, I get that, but... Right, and it's iconic, right? But they do all this hullabaloo about this, like, the renovatings. And then you go, hey, Willie, she's, you know, she's going to make sure Alex doesn't get taken advantage of, you know, with all these bells and whistles. And then what do they do? They get all the bells and whistles. They get the diner and the fountain and, like, the, the, the like, you know, Adobe clay wall thing surrounding the guard it. tower. So, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, the card like so you take this like, you know, iconic like locale for what I assume is going to be an anthology horror series and then you take everything that made it creepy out of it and turn it into a crappy like yes. Tex-Mex resort. Well, and we should mention, you know, the the character of Willie becomes important Willie. played by a young Lori Petty who is pretty cute in this and at least she yeah. brings a kind of quirkiness and fun to her role. I mean, in her stupid chicken suit, what kind of introduction is I, that? Like he's trying to get settled in in the house where the mother was and stuff. Yeah, and, oh. yeah, because 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 early on, like when he's trying to f- find things out, you know, he 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 stops at this. There's again, there's a sort of humorous scene where he's just walking past a fried chicken place, but walks too close to the takeout speaker or to the drive-through speaker and has a whole conversation, and seems right. mystified by the very idea of fried chicken. Um, but there he meets, 
uh, Henry Watson, uh, played by Moses Gunn, who's a local contractor who gives him a ride to the to the the motel. But yeah, so when uh, when Alex is 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 checking out the house, he hears a noise. He he grabs this like chair leg, and then the person from the the giant chicken that was dancing in front of the fried chicken place is there, <laughs> and it turns out to be Lori Petty. She takes forever to take her her chicken head yeah. off though, so it's like he's talking to Big Bird. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was wild too and also moses gun so also you know uh local you know handyman and also he just happens to you know have like you know armed throwdowns with the local authorities well yeah so so this is a th- a weird thread there's like a whole thread of like land development scandals that runs through here it begins because after after alex inherits the motel and he's released there's a hard cut to a hotel <laughs> being demolished <laughs> Uh, which, which is such a weird cut. I think yeah, that's just whole... was like, yeah. But there's a whole thread about land being cheap. bought up, houses being torn down, and like condos going up. And yeah, Henry uh, is like he had he has a house that is going to apparently be demolished to make way for a condo. <laughs> I'm not sure how they can do that while he still lives there. Right. I guess well, that would and, explain and, the shotgun and... that he had. Sure, and Moses Gunn, who plays the, the handyman. I mean, he's been in so many oh, movies. Yeah. I'm surprised he only died in his um, early six, early sixties, which is pretty young, or mid sixties, sixty four. But you, you've seen this guy, and he he played uh, Bumpy Jonas in the original Shaft movie. Mm. Yeah, uh, the main gangster. Oh, he's also in Shaft's Big Score, of course. Uh, he was in Roots, the original version, and uh, in Firestarter. Wow, as Dr. Pinchot, One of my so. personal favorites, the ninth configuration. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, he's a good character actor, and and he's good in this. He gives sort of a grounded performance. It seems like they're almost going for a shining vibe with the handyman stuff. Yeah, um, the, the magical Negro trope. Yeah, better than magical Negro trope. But he's he's good. Like that's not the problem. But I, I do want to spend a minute talking about how inappropriate Bud Court is in the lead. It just does <laughs> yes, not work. It, it doesn't help that Alex and I were. We were all chatting about this over the weekend, but like Bud Court, unfortunately, and it's not his fault, just has a face that looks like an old man face. So it, it's it's a good character actor face, but it doesn't oh, make him convincingly play young that well, except perhaps in you know the movie that made him really famous, uh, Harold and Maude. Yeah, and he he he, he has kind of like an ah shucks thing going on but he can't pull off like the creepiness if he's supposed to be kind of like an analog norman bates like that certainly isn't happening like i can't quite tell what tone he's going for yeah i don't think he knew what he was going for yeah he doesn't feel threatening and he doesn't really feel all that smart um he's definitely not all that smart um (laughs) and also he's just kind of like uh, he's not creepy but just off-putting like, you know, with a with a good creepy performance, like when Perkins does it, it's like, okay, you're you're a little creeped out, but you want you lean in a little closer. You wanna get you wanna figure out the darkness, you know what I mean? With this guy, you're just I just looked at his face and I was like I remember like my girlfriend's like cracking up because I just make these faces and I'm like, I just don't like looking at him. Like I just don't like what's <laughs> going on here. I don't I don't know. Like it was just um it was almost like a, like, a, like a physical, like just I guess revulsion <laughs> too. That sounds terrible to me saying, Oh my god. But it was just something like like it looked like like a saggy cake or something. I I don't, I don't know. Like <laughs> I, it I was think, just like so I think I've got it. Okay. And this hit me uh, about about the halfway point. Uh, but uh, so Bud Court, the way he's playing Alex, he both looks and acts like Henry Gibson from Laugh In. <laughs> I can see it. Because that's like that's his whole persona. He's kind of all shucks. He comes out and now a poem, right? And he he does remind me of Henry Gibson and like um like the Long Goodbye era Henry Gibson. Yeah, he's he just so flat as well. Like he's the lead of a series for God's sakes. Have some fun with it. I don't know. Like it's. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a pilot. A lot of pilots have tone problems. That's not right necessarily so, unusual. Would he have been like the crypt keeper? Because you know he's like, oh, I'll go, come check in at the Bates Motel. We have many stories. Like I, I just wouldn't really buy him as a, um, as a like a kind of like anthology host. I mean, like, Bud Court's a good actor. I think he's a great sure. actor, actually. All the other things I've seen, it's just that like 
there's something going on here and it's it's like a it's like a frequency from another planet and I don't want to figure out what it is you know what I mean <laughs> like I like I'm Jody Foster with the headphones and I'm like no 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 we're not building this machine mm. uh, yeah so like so like Norman Norman Bates he like he gets he he there's a whole lengthy process where he secures a loan uh, and the guy at the bank like seems to think that Norm or not Norman Alex, uh, Alex and the guy yeah. at the bank seems to think Alex is like a big out of town investor, which is weird because investors bring money they don't they don't take the money. Uh, well, I mean yeah. they do credit default swaps all that, but anyway, right. um, and yeah, and there's the whole montage. He he gets uh, he. <laughs> He gets he gets Henry Watson. Uh, he hires him to be his contractor to help remodel the hotel. Willie, who he's constantly breaking up and making up with, he yeah she I even get, comes back like four times. Yeah, she like hi- hires her to run run the kitchen, and there's some comedy of her trying to invent recipes and like has a meatloaf with bits of broken plate in it because it fell. <laughs> But she seems to rise to the challenge pretty well. And yeah, there's... Oh, but this is the thing. All throughout the renovation, they keep digging up bodies. Yeah. They find... And I love how... I love how uh, Moses Gunn can identify people within like a a split of a second. (laughs) From the skeleton. Yeah, he's like, oh, that's man Witherby, you know? I know he... I think he has like a ring, so he knew who it was. But it was kind of like, come on. Oh, and, and Gloria Bates can electrify tractors and electrocute people from beyond the grave. Oh, that animated lightning on the tractor is yeah. amazing. Oh, man, I, I almost fell out of the couch laughing. I but thought like, that was great. You, you don't even have to do that because, like, it's, it's it's I mean, yeah, if you want someone to be electrocuted, yeah, maybe they got careless and he, like, dug up a power line. But, like, right. he didn't. There's just a corpse. You could just find the coffin while doing earth moving. You don't need magic lightning to zap yeah. the guy operating the earth mover. But, yeah, and so it's, so it's implied that, like, after the movie, someone buried Norman's mother in the yard. Not well, Norman, yeah, I guess, because he was... And saying the like, body was never found, I mean, it's a big deal in the first movie, the reveal that uh, Norman keeps his mother's corpse in the rocking chair Yeah, by right. the window. Like, to be like, the body was never found, that's a slap in the face to the, the movie. I, I get they want to tie it into the movie more, and then you have, like, oh, and there's the, the husband that was killed. Um mm-hmm. And, and and it never and it never and the thing is like they keep finding all these bodies, but it never becomes a crime scene. <laughs> Everyone right. is just so blase, right. including the and sheriff's maybe, department. Yeah, they're just used to it there. Another day at the Bates Motel. Well, um, and then like right after then, you go into these montages where they're fixing up the the motel, and at the end it's literally Alex, Willie, and Henry holding hands in a circle, jumping around, saying, "Yay, we're done." That's not a something you do in a psycho TV series. And, Come on. And oh, yeah. then, and you know, there's a, there's also in, in the middle of all that. There's a few. They they rebury uh, Norman's mother, uh, who was was who's named Gloria in this, right? Gloria, yeah, no, totally. So there's a few little. There's a few weird things like that, and I did some thinking about it. And so this was made while Robert Block was still alive. I oh suspect certain inexplicable things in this movie happened just so that they didn't have to pay Robert Block any like character payments or anything. It still that says makes... in the credits based on, uh, or at least in Wikipedia, it said based on characters created by Robert Block. Oh no, I fr- uh, I freeze framed it. Yeah, it it quite in the in the credits itself, it literally says suggested by the novel Psycho by Robert Block. Oh wow! So oh, it doesn't even yeah. get a based mm-hmm. on. Interesting. I will say the the burial scene it was a little creepy with a the the the, the woman drenched in black there with the wind blowing around. I kind of got like some like Mr. James vibes off of that. That was kind of cool. I'll give him that because also if you can come up with a creepy image in broad daylight, you get you get extra props for that. So I'll I'll give this that much. And yet, as part of that, there's like I saw a woman in black at the cemetery, and everyone acts like this is the strangest thing in the world. No. Oh yeah. That, that's where that's where people get buried. There are women in black all over the place at, at, yeah. at cemeteries. Yeah, you're not going to see any clowns or anything. <laughs> beep, beep, Alex. <laughs> uh, um, you know, and also too, it's like if he was like, "There's a woman in black," I'm like, yeah, whatever. But if it's like, "There's this ominous woman, completely drenched in black, with like no face, with this inexplicable wind blowing or cloaky clothing around," then it'd be like, "Oh, okay." 
then that would that would arouse suspicion. <laughs> I love during that montage of cleaning where there's we just see that shot of Alex like beating dust off of one of the taxidermied owls. Yeah, that was actually pretty funny. <laughs> oh, so uh, we then we then find out that Alex, who has grew up uh, in a mental institution uh, with no contact with the outside world, isn't a good businessman because he has one day to make his first payment on the hotel uh, for uh, for the the loan uh, for the remodeling, and that first payment is ten thousand dollars. Right, and like, and he's uh, acting I, like you know, it's a, a surprise. They really stretch that out, right? Because Willie's like. What is it? Is it $500? $1,000? Right. $2,000? $2,100? Like, they keep on stretching it out. And it's like, when you sign for a loan from the bank or whoever you get it, or the credit union, whoever you get it from, uh, you, you know exactly how much your monthly payments are going to be and for how long. Of course, you can renegotiate that and uh, refinance it at a later time. But it's like, that should not be a surprise. Well, right. keep, in, keep in mind, though, like there, there is are some shady dealings involving that loan. We just don't find out until the end. But I want to save that sweet moment, that sweet, oh, yeah. sweet, mm-hmm. succulent moment for the very end. That's um, right. But yeah, but, oh, sorry, you go. Oh, no, just that they finally get their first customer. Uh, a woman comes in and rents a room. You know, she says she's like a, an aerobics instructor turned writer. Uh, and one thing that they, at first I thought it was subtle and then they lingered on it way too long is she get, you know, she gives her name when she signs the guest book and she gets the same room, uh, from psycho three that the, the crazy guy working for Norman stays in, which mm-hmm. I feel like that can't, this is so slapdash that can't be intentional. They just figured that was the most right. dramatic mm-hmm. With the best angles to have her go in and out of, and when she puts down her handbag, her handbag is monogrammed and has a different set of initials. But then they linger on that monogram for so long, and then we see her hands move all around it as she takes stuff from the from the bag. It's an odd shot. We do finally get the guest at the motel, and of course they have to use the bathroom motif. Um, yeah, except of she, she's going there to to kill herself, and that, I found that sort of interesting. I'm like, well. I mean, you kind of did this in Psycho Three, with the yeah. the woman attempting to kill herself. But it, it, it's kind of you know, it's a darker turn for the show. And I'm like, okay, well, let's see how old Alex uh, handles this. Well, we know something else uh, that that you mentioned, like the the shower scene. When Alex first gets to the hotel, we see him shower in the murder shower. <laughs> yeah, which which I thought was kind of hilarious. And it was like, and also Norman's ashes are like. You know, in like a line of sight, so it's like he's the front still watching him shower. What's that? Still voyeuristic. Yeah, you oh, could yeah, cut still... to a close up of like the uh, the vase with the know. ashes looking through the people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we we learned that Alex spared no expense because. Uh, the, so this this woman who who is who is planning on taking her, her own life, she writes her suicide note on Bates Motel branded postcards. Oh yeah. Two of and them the the address is legible. According to these postcards, the Bates Motel is on forty one twenty Holmes Avenue, Fairville, California nine one five zero four. And there's also a phone number. The phone number uh, does not appear to be real. The address is half real. There is a Holmes Avenue in Fairfield, California, but it doesn't go all the way up to the four thousands. Aw, all those Bates Motel fans are going to be so, so disappointed. It, it makes your uh, yearly pilgrimage to the... Yeah, although, the, right? the area code that's on the phone number is the correct area code. Not bad, not bad. It, it makes uh, me wonder if somebody associated with this actually, like, lived in that area, and this was kind of their way of, like, sneaking in, like, a childhood address or something. Something like that, yeah. There was also, uh, one thing I thought was interesting, well, a couple things... Um, so the woman goes in there and she's, you know, she writes her, her suicide notes and one of them's like, you know, to so-and-so I'll always remember our, like our prom date and, um, based on her age, I mean, prom must've been a while ago for her. Right. Cause she's like a, you know what I mean? She's not like, she looks like she's in her forties. At least it's gotta be at least 10 years (laughs) in her past, maybe 15 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like, all right, like from uh, what are we doing here <laughs> like, i think it's just to try and 
Oh, go on, Thrasher. Well, well, and then and then that she that she puts on she puts on her wedding dress, and that that's her plan. Is that's how she's gonna she's gonna take her life? It's it's really grim. It really is. Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20 minute rock epics about war ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Previously, in Zelda 2, on Chat of the Wild. Until you get to the elevator. Hey, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, stay away from me and you and your little flamies. <laughs> he just chases you. I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, 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 run, 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 run. I love that. I love that idea. It's like we have this whole grand adventure where we're building ourselves up, and every time we get in the palace, we're like, oh god, oh god, oh god, it's like just running through. That's Chat of the Wild Wednesdays on the Greenlit Podcast Network. As she takes a bath, it gets uh, interrupted as. But Alex is fretting over the money, and oh, they only have one guest, and he owes $10,000 tomorrow or something like that. And uh, all of a sudden, all these kids pop up dressed like it's the 50s, and it feels like American yeah. graffiti. And a girl just walks into her hotel room, and <laughs> her react, uh, Barbara's reaction isn't like as angry or shocked as I think it would be. Like, she just has this conversation while a towel is wrapped around her. Like, why even <laughs> get out of the bath? Just be like, yeah. get the fuck out. Well, this this person that, that uh, played by uh, Christine Hage, uh, Sally. Yeah, like she she just keeps getting into people's space and business, and nobody seems to respond like a real person. Yeah, it's, it's not, so not to mention what is um, is Alex so dumb that he can't remember what room he just booked like an hour or they ago just, like cheaped out on well, the lock so like, all well, the keys and locks are the same oh that's true well yeah yeah, yeah cuz that's what she says is her room is 11 but she tried her key in room 12 and it worked which we could take as the keys didn't get remodeled and it's just so old fashioned they all have the same lock or mm-hmm. that's just one of her ghost powers because surprise she's a ghost <laughs> yeah, not just she's ghost a ghost but everyone is a ghost bingo. yeah it's like the goat ghost beach bingo party something like uh, well, hey there's let's the have ghost, a rock concert there's the ghost in the invisible bikini i think is the one you're talking you're thinking of ah yes but yeah and and it's so biz- and and like yeah this whole like 1950s retro party breaks out complete with band the kind of it's the kind of thing you have to book in advance you can't just have a whole crew <laughs> show up to and do it in a big impromptu way and the whole time, I just remember thinking, well, so how is he going to pay the bank back with ghost money? Right. And also, like, if, yeah. like, if they're, even if they were real, real, uh, real people, it's like, well, unless, like, you know, each of those, you know, 12 people paid, you know, $825, you're still going to be pretty <laughs> shit out of luck tomorrow, buddy. Like, But, you know, they're, they're, all having a, they're all having a good time. And Sally brings the woman out of, uh, I think it's Barbara Peters is her name. Yeah, uh, Sally brings yeah. her out of the hotel, puts her in a prom dress. She goes to the hop. They dance to a lot of 50s music that's easy to clear, played by a cover band. And then she strikes yeah. up a romance with a young Jason Bateman who plays, and I'm not kidding, his character's name is Tony Scotty. Which makes me think, <laughs> hey, I just noticed on the script, here it says my name's Tony, and here it says my name's Scotty. Uh, your name's Tony Scotty. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't sound like a real name. Also, Jason Bateman, even though he gets that guest starring credit in the film, he seems just like embarrassed to be there and kind of like mumbles through his lines and looks at the floor a lot. Like it's well, not even, he he's not so... even in it that much, and he's not doing yeah. that good of a job, really. Well, well, he lo- he looks like like he's got that Letterman jacket. He re- he looks like a fifties like big man on campus, mm-hmm. but he plays it so mousy. Yeah. It's, it's really yeah. weird. I mean, it it doesn't play up to his strength certainly, and I can't tell was this just his own unique spin because he wanted to show his range, right. or was he just given bad direction? Is he doing like a is he doing like a like a pre emo thing? You know, he seems kind of like like oh right, like right. I'm just too cool for this. You know. Yeah, and this and this just goes on for a while, and then finally Barbara, you know, kind of like he he sort like he Tony half heartedly makes a move on her, and she's you know very rightly he's like like no, you're a teenager, and I'm a goddamn adult woman. Uh, this isn't right. gonna happen. Uh, but they had this like weird back and forth, uh, and you know finally you know when when Barbara goes back to her room, you know Sally shows up to bring her out again. 
And finally, all the the teens, you know, drive up in their cars and they all reveal they're all ghosts and that they all committed suicide and they're trying to convince her not to do it. And there's a really grim scene where like all the teenagers and this this scene I actually found very affecting, but it is so at odds with the rest of the film. It's not as good as it could have been. It's very PSA-like, where they all say their name, their hometown, and the day they were born and the day they took their own life. Um, and But we never get any context for, for why they took their own life. It just happened. And the only thing I'm, I'm wondering with, with, with Tony Scotty is he does that he does that so such a mousy performance and he tries so hard to kick something off with Barbara is the implication that he was gay and it being the 1950s that's what drove him to suicide right that would give some more depth to it for sure but also the like thing too is that I mean, maybe just speaking from, like, personal experience, like, if I, you know, was dealing with, like, a fit of depression or what have you, and then, like, a caravan full of partying teenagers pull up next to me, I would not want anything to do with them. <laughs> I would probably run to the other side, check out, or, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've, I, I've I, had I, hotel stays that were ruined because a whole bunch of irresponsible young people. Not to say that all young people are irresponsible, uh, right. but, like... I, th- this this situation has happened to be minus the ghosts. Right, exactly. Yeah, despite the spectral lure that might have occurred with, uh, I don't know, maybe she's got, like, ghost power or something. But, um, but yeah, that would be the last place I'd want to be. But, but, hey, but you know, me. then the ghosts all drive off into the ether after, you know, talk. And this, this is actually one thing that was weird because they essentially describe what their afterlife was like after suicide with like, you know, there's this cold and there's loneliness. Hold on. You all just had a fucking sock hop. Yeah. Right. It seems like, like you were having a good time. Was it like, a full moon or something? Yeah, I guess like. I don't know. Although it, it 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 all it just makes me. I feel like we're missing something. Like, are they allowed to go to a real afterlife if they save one person, or like, or, or like a, it's a once a year thing, or like they yeah, all party at the Bates Motel, and now that it's open, they can hang. But this, but this is also a perfect example of what I like to call the Shropshire Principle, which is if you have a horror movie with no supernatural elements, but you continue to make sequels to that horror movie, inevitably it becomes a supernatural horror. Right. Exactly. Um, it was just, it was, it was so odd. And then, like, we just are kind of like, we're, we're done with Alex and Willie and everyone, right? Like, at this point, I mean, like, you forget all about him. We're doing this, like, ghost party suicide PSA. Um, sure, you're the movie. Movie. Um, and then, yeah, we get towards what I guess is the ending. And we basically go into, like, full Scooby-Doo mode. Yeah, with... they're all... <laughs> yeah, so like uh, uh, Alex, Willie, and Henry are are in the the are in the the Bates house, the 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 manor. Which, by the way, I just want to point out the will says Alex gets the hotel. It mentions nothing about the surrounding nothing. land or the house. Yeah, <laughs> nothing about the house. But but I guess it's part and parcel because he's living there. But yeah, they're yep. they're talking. And then Norman Bates with a grotesque skull, or sorry, the Bates's mother with a grotesque skull face and the morning dress and a knife comes out. You will get off my property. You will flee my land. Uh, and then I believe I believe uh, Henry like like trips him, and then it turns out it's the guy from the bank that gave Norman the loan, disguised as a ghost, who's trying to fuck with Alex so that he can use the terms of the loan to repossess the property, which is what he wanted all the time, which is why he gave the loan so quickly with no collateral or no business plan and why the payment structure is so bizarre. <laughs> and, and, you know, and he points out, you know, like, what are you going to like? Well, there's, there's laws against, you know, there's nothing wrong. There's no law says I can't wear a dress, you know? Yeah. But there's laws yeah, against fraud but... or trespassing. They don't mention trespassing or threatening yeah, people or... with a knife. He's like, he's like Knives, who's going to yeah. believe you? And then another ghost comes in, another Norman's mother with the same face, same dress, and a knife. And the guy from the bank panics and, like, I'm sorry I did this. And he kind of, like, confesses the whole thing. 
and then the ghost rips off the mask. It's Willie with the tape recorder who's just recorded his confession, and they use that to blackmail him into lowering the loan payment so that they can actually run the hotel. <laughs> and I also love that there just happens to be like two accessible means to disguise yourself as the late <clears throat> Norm. I mean Gloria Bates. Well, well, there's on, two. Like that. There's two identical costumes. And that really, right. so, so, so this is the thing with Willie. So did Willie know that the bank guy was going to show up disguised as a ghost? Yeah. Or did she just kind of like see it on the fly? And I was like, oh man, I and have she, to she counter She just this. happened to have that. Yeah, totally. Like, it's, it's very bizarre. Now, of course, this was a pilot. Maybe they were going to go into that later. <laughs> yeah. Not just that, but isn't, you have the whole premise of, um, while these uh, monthly payments are so expensive, how how are people going to stay at the motel? That gives you some kind of suspense. Why solve that problem in the pilot? Because I can right. only assume that the whole series would almost never be about the goings-on at the hotel and just about the anthology horror bits. And that's one of the things. Like I've seen anthology horror pilots, and generally the tradition is to give you two or three anthology stories wrapped up in the framing device in this one, we only get the one anthology story involving the ghosts and the suicide attempt. Right. The rest of the movie is the connective tissue that doesn't have other self-contained stories nested in it. And also, too, when you have an anthology horror series, usually your first episode is like a baller couple of stories. Like, um, what was the, the HBO series? The Room So-and-So, Room 23 Zabada. That came out a couple. That started up a couple years ago. Like that, that first episode, man, that got me hooked. I was like, that—that's how you do anthology horror, right there. So having this kind of like mournful, like treatise on like you know, youth and suicide is kind of like, oh wow, that's a real, that's a real you know freaking white knuckle fright fest, you know. <laughs> like, but it's because. Like, because the uh, the the show has one last weird thing up its sleeve, uh, you know, it, it, we then you know get this nice shot of the hotel in broad daylight. You know, everybody the uh, the the woman who Barbara has you know happily you know talks about how like she's given her life another chance and it's great, and she checks out and leaves. And Norman's sweeping up in the in the parking lot, and then he starts talking to the camera. And I've got his little his little closing monologue. Do you want me to read it now, or do you want to save it for later? Uh, why don't you read it now? Yeah, he so Norman or not Norman Alex, he turns to the camera and just says, "Nobody ever said life was easy. Then nothing ever worth it is. But you know, I think with a little luck, we're gonna do okay here. I think Norman would have liked that. Oh, by the way, if you ever need a room, come on by. Can't say for sure what you'll find, but that is what makes the world go round." Like it's, it's it's almost and then like the camera sort of pans back, romantic music plays, and we get a sunset over the Bates Mansion. Uh, but and it's just it, it, that's that like that address to the audience is so clearly addressed to network executives. You know, I just like I expect him to finish that off saying, "So pick us up, so give us a mid-season pickup, but don't forget to Pretty give us much. a body share." Yeah, seriously, though, it's like, many adventures are afoot here at Bates Motel. What could be next? <laughs> it could Maybe involve aliens or pirates. We don't know. <laughs> I, I was almost expecting him like, to go like, you know, he's like, I think Norman would be proud. Maybe you could just call me Norman from now on. Because you kind of have been anyway. But, um... Yeah, and then that well, that whole thing, I was like, wow, this, if it didn't feel like a TV pilot, it does now. Yeah, I mean, overall, I would say sequel no to Bates Motel. It has so little connective tissue that I kind of regret covering it to begin with, except it's so <laughs> weird, it's worth mentioning. And it's part of this box set that's easily, that's easy to get if you want to check out these movies. Um I'm going to give it a sequel, yes, because it is such an anomaly. Uh, like, I, I want to show this to people without any, like, any foreknowledge. That, yeah. I, I want to know what somebody, right. oh, yeah, Bates Motel, Psycho, this could be interesting. I want to know how they're going to react. This is so bizarre. And, like, I can't imagine how this would function as a series. 
but I totally want to see what that series would have been. And yeah, I'm gonna. Um, I'm I'm close to that ruling almost, uh, Thrasher. But I'm gonna. This is almost like a have watch with beer and friends movie and make fun of it movie. Uh-huh. Um, but it's just like it's there's just so many lags and just like nonsensical parts where I'd have to go sequel no just because. It's fundamentally just, it doesn't really function well as a pilot. It doesn't really function well as like a movie of the week. It's just, it's just way too stupid, I guess. Um, so yeah, sequel, no, despite that, I thought I'll give him props for the one creepy little graveyard scene. Um, and I laughed out loud when the, uh, when the, when the tractor got electrocuted, but yeah, sequel, no, on old Bates motel. And with that in mind, you know, going on to, I mean, pitch a sequel. I don't want to, why don't we do this instead? Let's, if you could do any series based off a psycho uh, property, what would you do? The one, does that sound good, fellas? Yeah, yeah, go yeah, for okay. like, uh, If we were going to do an anthology spinoff of a... It, 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 it doesn't have to be even an anthology spinoff. It can be, but just what would you do? Um, I guess let's make it, yeah, but what came to mind for me is just call it uh Bates family history and each episode it would be an anthology series each episode would be about a different ancestor Norman Bates all whom uh end up killing people sometimes by accident sometimes on purpose so they'd be like a wild west Norman Bates there'd be a caveman Ooh. Norman Bates there'd be uh in the future maybe like an alien Norman Bates running an alien motel on Mars on Martian Norman Bates you could do all sorts I could see of things. That as like a, I could see that as like a retro, like eighty tel like series too. You know, like the like the cool like old Star Trek sets. You know, being utilized for that. Yeah, you could reuse all kind of old sets. The old Western set. You could do uh, the Irish Norman Bates with the leprechaun in there somehow. <laughs> Although, <laughs> what if you Warwick Davis is the leprechaun? Yes, starring uh, Warwick Davis as Wee Bates. <laughs> he's a, a a coupon salesman <laughs> he sells individual <laughs> coupons yes he says if you pay me five cents you'll get a coupon for ten cents off your uh, pound of coffee <laughs> so so there you go it would be just to be called Norman Family History and uh, the the poster would just have this this book called the Bates family history with, with a lock on it. And it would say some books shouldn't be opened. <laughs> so, uh, Thrasher, what's your pitch? Of, I guess it's pitch a series in this case. So I want to, I want to do a series about Dr. Fred Richmond, who was the, uh, guy who was the doctor who did the analysis on Norman, who gives the whole big speech what? explaining yeah. his condition at the end of the first film. Uh, and it's sort of about him. He fr- from this incident, he becomes like a well-respected uh, uh, doctor and also criminal profiler. So it's it's all about uh, every, every episode. It's it's about you know, him doing his job. Sometimes he's brought in by either the prosecution or the defense to perform a psychological evaluation of someone who's been accused of, the, of a crime. Sometimes he's assisting the FBI by helping them construct a profile of a killer they're tracking. And so we, we follow him in his capacity as a doctor, you know, psychoanalyzing people. Some, some, and some episodes will just be about like him and his, and his patients. Now, presumably he does have patients of his own. He doesn't exclusively work for, uh, for, for the, the state of California. Uh, and, like, so, so we can get some varied tones and textures with this format. And I think what I think, I think we'll just call it Richmond. Like I just, I, I feel like it just needs to have one of those good last name shows. Just Richmond. Mm. And Alex. Um. So I was thinking when I was watching this, I was like, you know, out of, out of all the hands this hotel's like uh, changed from, the only time it ever seemed like it was turning a profit is when Mister Toomey owned it. I mean, yeah, sure, he was a sleaze bag, but I mean, hey, the rooms were full, no one was getting murdered, so. I was thinking of this, is that what you do is they have an anthology series, but it's the motel as run by different characters throughout the movies. So you have, like, the Mr. Toomey run, and then you'd have, like, the old run when Norma Bates ran it back in the day when Norman was a child. 
You'd have, um, you know, uh, Vera Miles' character takes it over one season. And then, you know, you and then, you know, maybe sometimes, uh, you know, uh, the, the sheriff's, you know, the, the sheriff's department takes it over after then and use it as like police barracks. And um, but inevitably something supernatural kind of creeps up and, you know, f- freaky stuff happens along the way. So it would be called the uh, the revolving the revolving door of uh, the Bates Motel. <laughs> oh, and I forgot to mention about my Richmond series. Uh, he will continue to treat Norman. So like every few episodes, there'll be a session with Norman. And he'll get interesting insights from those sessions that will help him with whatever the case of the week is. Excellent. There you go. So, um, hold on, Mike. Cat's being stupid. Um, just hold on one second. I'll be back. back. Oh, yeah. There really are no other good cat food jingles. I mean, like, what's got into that cat friskies is barely a Yeah. Nine lives. Give me some. Sorry about that. We have um, old doors. and Well, the house isn't that old, I guess. But the doors don't close very well, so the cat is able to open the doors by himself. Hmm. Ah. And then Vanna's still sleeping, so I have to have the door closed. Clever um, girl. Yeah, let's... Uh-huh. Clever girl. Clever. Clever I girl. can't do that accent. Clever. I think Jurassic I Park I 7, Clever that. Girl. Yeah. Um... You can hear the other cat probably. Oh. No, he wants out. Hold on. Jesus, cats. Mm-hmm. I've got one sitting behind me. But she does not make a lot of noise. The other Mine. one, however, you guys have heard. Mine are far away. Far away. Yeah, there is uh, there is no far away in a studio, unfortunately. <laughs> No. Um, okay, let's go. Uh, all right, so let's do what you're watching. I, I watched a um, TV pilot uh, that was just okay. It's of a new TV series called Clarice. Um, it's a sequel of sorts to Silence of the Lambs based on the with the different actors as the Clarice Starling character. But because of complicated rights issues, the character of Hannibal Lecter can't be mentioned by name or featured in the show. And we had that three-season Hannibal series um, several years ago, uh, Mads Mikkelsen and, and all that. So it just is basically like a police kind of procedural that just happens to have the main character as a Clarice Starling, and you have some kind of creepy uh, stuff of her as a kid in there. And, I mean, the main tie-in with the movie is People make lotion in the basket jokes to her, and uh, so it takes place after in... the events of Silence of the Lambs. It does, yes, yep. And uh, it also has um, in contact with the victims of the uh, the killer from the Silence of the Lambs movie, and it's just it, I don't know why it needs that Silence of the Lambs connective tissue. It just seems so uh-huh. forced. And to me, Hannibal Lecter was the more interesting things of all of those movies. And um, if he can't be in it, I don't quite see what the point is, but I guess it's some name recognition. But the name Clarice is just so flat. I don't know what you'd call it, like more of the lambs, more silence, right. silence, silence harder, the silence. Also, most silence, mo better. Um, yeah. The thing that I don't get though is that like they like lucked out so well with him because I thought the Hannibal series was terrific, mm-hmm. and like that that could have been really bad too. That could have just fallen flat. So it's like you already yeah. got the freebie, you know. Like don't 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 push it, you know. Exactly. You know they did the, the um the movie Hannibal Rising, which was about a young Hannibal, oh. and oh yes, which was. No good, but um, yeah. and you know, you could do that as a TV series, which they didn't really do. So, yeah, I, I think just let Sleeping Dogs Lie. And, you know, maybe we'll get a season four of Hannibal someday, who knows? But it just, uh, yeah, it's a show. I was not terribly impressed with it. It looks okay, the acting is fine, but I just, right, 
don't know why it has to be based off a movie. Um, Alex, what have you been watching? Um, I just just watched this last night, and I just like I literally fell in love with it. It's um, a 1988 film from New World Pictures, um, in the aftermath. Have you guys heard of this? No. It's so freaking cool. Um, it's a it's a dystopic post-apocalyptic joint. Um, but what they did is that they had this. Um, they had uh, Mamoru Oshii's um, like early feature, uh, Angel's Egg, the anime. So somehow New World Pictures got this in their lap. So what they did is that they took this kind of like very beautiful, um, like ethereal uh, mood piece anime. And what they did is that they edited it into a live action film about these, um, this like, you know, radiation heavy wasteland. These two dudes kind of wandering around in it. And... Um, what happens is that with the anime segment, you have um, this young girl carrying like an egg, and um, it kind of becomes this theme that, and they tie the theme of like the mystical girl with like the, you know, uh, all the thematic baggage that's going to come with her carrying an egg. Obviously, all symbols in there, and they tie into both these parallel kind of universes, and it's like it's such a daring stunt, and it's like, imagine if like Nicholas Rogue and Terrence Malick made like a post-apocalyptic anime live-action hybrid. Like it's mm-hmm. such a cool movie. And on, I see all the reviews, and everyone's like, oh, this sucks. They just kind of, like, slap this shit together. And no, it, I think it's like a, I think it's a masterpiece. It's, it shouldn't work, and it does. It's it's, it's really atmospheric, uh, kind of, like, moody think piece um, that's got, like, elements of, like, sci-fi and horror and stuff. But it's, like, very beautiful. I would definitely recommend it. There's a, there's a really stunning Arrow Blu-ray release of it. And, um, yeah, I, I can't wait to revisit it. And... I'm probably going to be watching uh, Mamoru Oshii's uh, Angel's Egg as soon as possible. Cool. And what's this one called? In the Aftermath. The okay. the cover and everything, you would totally miss it. You'd just be like, whatever, you know. Just kind of a throwaway B-movie, but it's so freaking cool. I mean, and the animation from Oshii, this, the dude who obviously did uh, Ghost in the Shell, is like, uh, it's so gorgeous. You really just like sink into it. It really it casts a spell on you. It did for me anyway. Um, I don't think everyone else seems to feel that way, but this is a good movie. Neat. So, great. There you go. Um, all right, and Thrasher. Well, now now that it's available, uh, I have been uh, watching uh, The Muppet Show. The original Muppet Show, I should clarify, on Disney+. Plus. Uh, yeah, the, the yeah. complete series uh, popped up on uh, Disney+, Plus with, I think, just the right amount of fanfare. Uh, and I, it, it has been a delight. <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things. Only the first three seasons came out on DVD, uh, and they didn't release the other seasons because the the old seasons didn't sell that well. But uh, how how does the picture look? Did they spiff up the picture at all, or does well, it kind of look know, like, like a videotape? I don't know if they're re if they're remastered, but they ha- they have to be taken from the Henson Company masters because they look ve- they look very crisp, uh, or you know at least at least as well as something filmed on video can be uh, filmed on video in the late seventies early eighties can be. Although something about the Muppet Show that that uh, jumps out at me that I never really noticed before, uh, some of the segments are done on video and some of the segments are done on film. And this is the first time the change in mediums has been uh, has been apparent to me. And I don't know. I I I I certainly hope it's because they're using high quality high quality masters. But it may just be because the last time I had a chance to really sit down and truly watch the Muppet Show, I wasn't as savvy with different recording formats. So I'm not sure. Right, I was reading online. There's like three episodes from the original run that aren't on there, and oh, two they're that, working. That I didn't know. Yeah, um, I, I don't know the information. Uh, I, I think one of the the guests in season one has sort of some um, personal stuff that's pretty uh, gross and unseemly, and they didn't want to. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have the names in front of me. We can talk about it at another time. But, but anyhow, with what's on there. Um, what episode did you watch? Did you decide to start from the beginning, oh. or you picked it based on the actor? Yeah, I just decided to start from the beginning. Although I did discover the the season orders are correct, but within each season, um, the episodes are not in production order. I'm so I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure 
how they determine the order that they have. It's it's an American broadcast order. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, it also just makes makes me realize I I I do enjoy a lot of seventies celebrities. I was I was delighted by Sandy Duncan. She's just if Tinkerbell was a human being, it would be Sandy Duncan. Well, there you go. It's um. Oh, but it's stuff stuff to look forward to. Uh, so I was I I went and just actually looked through all the episodes they had, even though I'm watching them from the beginning. And something that that jumped out in season four, there's a trifecta of episodes. They get their guests are Christopher Reeve. Next episode, it's Linda Carter, and the next episode, it's Mark Hamill. Nice. So you get Superman, Wonder Woman, and the Joker. That's a pretty sick lineup That's true. right there. Yep, you have. I think C three PO is on that Mark Hamill episode. Uh yes, C three PO, R two D two, and Chewbacca all appear. Yeah, I mean, speaking of '70s stuff, uh, someone is passing around links on Twitter. I guess Amazon Prime has uh, Celebrity Bowling, the 1970s series. Huh. Uh. And it has guests like Billy Barty and uh, you know whoever else you could think would be on these things. But what I noticed as I was uh, watching some of it the other night is. It was clearly a low-budget show because they don't have everyone microphoned up, and when someone like turns their head, like the audio ducks down. <laughs> when the the host's turning his head away from the microphone to talk to someone, and then the episode I saw with Billy Barty. Billy Barty is a is a dwarf. He's a, a short person, a very short person, and they, they frame the shot with the other guy on his team is like a really tall guy, but instead of having a full body shot, the bottom of the shot is just like. Billy Barty's head, and it's really disturbing framing. Hmm. Right here. Yeah, it's it was a different time, and but bowling was was a legitimate big thing, and I, it's still you know there's still a lot of bowling alleys across the country. Although, you know, hopefully they're doing okay with the pandemic. I have no idea. That's not. Uh, but um, but bowling's fun, and just to to see a celebrity bowling thing is sort of neat. I'd rather see like a stuff on Amazon like the celebrity. Kind of Olympic competitions, Battle of the Network Stars. I think that would be fun to see <laughs> on there. But Amazon oh, yeah. Prime has really weird stuff that shows up on there to watch with a subscription to Prime. So it's uh, it's worth kind of exploring, even if the interface is a bit of a pain. And lately they keep pushing uh, stuff you have pr- to purchase, right? Yeah, which is really annoying. But uh, one, I guess my my final thought on, on the Muppet Show, I do I do hope you know uh, new generations of people really get to enjoy the Muppet Show now that it's uh, available on a streaming service. But most importantly, finally, finally, a whole generation of people will be introduced to Doug Henning. Oh sure, great, <laughs> and we also uh, I wonder if they'll put the uh, the Muppets Tonight series on at some point. I, that's from the late that's 90s, probably right? Not a priority because it's so obscure, but I would like to see that. I never saw the full original yeah. run because Muppet Babies were not going to get because that has all the clips from Star Wars. And I mean, they own Star Wars, but it has clips from so many different things. And with music clearance, I don't think we'll ever see that, unfortunately. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we, we don't have a sequel scene, so I think it's uh, next week on Sequel Cast 2, we'll be talking about. Psycho for the beginning. <laughs> oh, Psycho <boy>. IV. <laughs> IV, that's right. Was uh, I believe made for Showtime or something like that. It was. Uh, yeah, Mick Garris at the at the helm. Mick Garris, uh, yeah, pretty competent dude. Oh yeah, well, did. But... He, you know, perhaps best known for doing a lot of the '90s uh, Stephen King miniseries, like The Shining with Stephen yeah. Weber, uh, the stand, the original version of The Stand, and all that. Um, so yeah, it's good, good stuff. And Perkins is in this again, although it's also a prequel. So you have kind of a wraparound story and it'll be interesting to see, uh, what we think of, of this one. Has any of you guys seen it before? No, I didn't even know it existed until it uh, it came up during pre-search for the series. Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your reactions to it because I, I uh, yeah, it's an interesting film. I'll save my thoughts for the episode proper. Yep, it's interesting. Alex, can you unplug and replug your headset real quick? Shazam. Yep, perfect. Okay. Cool. Uh, so for uh, 
sequel cast two uh this is matt you can follow me on twitter at m-a-t-w-b-t and you can buy my books at uh m-a-t-w-b-t.com or just look up my name matt bradley shirky on amazon my new book is podcast you nerd it's kind of a part memoir part um how-to book about podcasting thrasher uh so you can follow me on twitter uh at internet mayor and Alex. And you can follow me on the Twitter at Crab Nebula1914. Uh, I got some new reviews out on uh, Film Inquiry. And uh, check out my YouTube channel, The Trailer Project, for some trailer commentaries and other fun assorted videos of interest. Very good. So uh, for Sequel Cast 2, and next time, you know, we'll be talking about Psycho for the beginning, as we just said. So for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. And this is Willie. Same. Hey, it's meatloaf. It'll be great. Try it. Come on. It's a great recipe. Try it. Come on, Norman. I mean, Alex. I love the scene where Alex goes and talks to what he thinks is the girl in the chicken outfit at her work, but it's just a random guy and another employee in the chicken outfit. And another total surreal interaction because this guy is like, I was going to surf. I was going to surf today. Shaka. <laughs> to- total California surfnoid dude. Oh yeah, yep. shred the nar. Okay, this was fun, guys. So uh, next week should work for Psycho Four. Yes, oh, yeah. definitely. Great, Psycho Four, uh, the beginning. Yep, and then after that, we are doing the uh, Psycho remake, which is for free on well, Peacock. Excellent. I- I actually bought it um, at the, the Shout Factory on Valentine's Day. It was like eight bucks. Shout Factory did one of what? Of Psycho Four or uh, of uh, the Gus Van Zandt one? And Psycho oh, I didn't. 4. I didn't know Shout Factory did that. That's neat. Yeah.